Welcome guys to another live episode. So today's episode is going to be a very, very interesting one. We're going to be talking about a few things and let's get my camera, my microphone all fixed up there. So first off, if it's your first time tuning in, just do me a favor, go ahead and hit the like button, go ahead and hit the subscribe button as well. And also if you're watching on Spotify, go ahead and hit the follow button as well. So today we're going to be talking about a few things. So as you guys know, we talk about everything business, we talk about making money, we talk about everything that you need to know to go ahead and get yourself straight, get your business straight, and obviously, you know, live a better, more happy and fulfilling life. So first and first, we're going to be talking about a few things today. We're going to be talking about passive income. We're going to be talking about the fact that most people, 39% of people need extra money. 39%. Think about it. What you guys think about this? 39% of Americans need extra income. They work in a side hustle. Like, for instance, I was talking to an acquaintance of mine and he was like, you know, we're kind of chit-chatting, you know, going back and forth. And, you know, his wife is a nurse and also, you know, has a part-time, has a side, side hustle business to basically help grow, you know, provide extra income for the family, right? That's the same thing. He also kind of pretty much for the most part has an extra a side hustle for the most part. So, I mean, there's this whole side hustle craze that's going on. So let's actually go ahead and do a few things. So one thing first, guys, I want to go ahead and show you guys this statistic, which is a very interesting stats. Bank rates. So this is basically a survey that 39% of people have a side hustle and 44% of people believe they'll always need one. So let's think about it this way, guys. 39% have a side hustle and 44% of people believe that they'll always need one. So if we kind of go ahead a little bit and dive a little deeper here. So a few things to think about is the side hustles are bringing in hundreds of dollars a month for the average person. Now, if you factor in inflation, is it really making a difference anymore? Are we really in a point in which if we're looking at a point in which inflation is, you know, for the most part, Currently, the same inflation is what about four percent, something like that. But I personally believe it's actually much way, 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 way higher. But if you look at it from a perspective of most people making an average of eight hundred ten dollars extra per month, that eight hundred ten dollars can pretty much go into things like your bills. That could be going too much into things like date nine with your spouse. That could go into you know just the basic, simple things, simple nuances of life. But if you look at it for as far as how much time do you actually have to invest into that side hustle? How much time do you have to invest in that? extra, you know, to make that extra $810 a month, right? So if we kind of look at it from that statistic, we go ahead. So side hustles basically, it's nice for most people because 33% of side hustles say they need the extra money for day-to-day living expenses. In comparison, 27 people say they need it for discretionary spending money and 25% need it for savings and 12% need it to repay debt, right? So there's various reasons why people need it, but the most important thing is most people need extra money. Now, if you've been around, if you've been listed in there, there's this whole thing of like, oh my God, I want passive income. I want passive income. I need that passive money, right? Everyone's talking about passive income, passive income, passive income. Well, first off, we're going to look at it today and you guys be the judge of it. Do you actually believe that passive income is actually truly passive? Is there actually such a thing as passive income? Is 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 passive income really a thing? Is passive income really a thing? Is there a thing where people are like, like, yeah, you know, man, you know, if I could just find a way to make a million dollars in passive income, you know, I'll be good. I'll be good for my life. If I made a million dollars, I never have to work a day in my life. And the universe is like, well, that's why you don't have it. Because you, you're going from a perspective that, you know, everything's passive. And the reality is if you're an able-bodied person, you put on earth to work, there's no reason why you shouldn't be working. I mean, there's working hard and there's working smart. But the whole concept of passive income, eh, that's something that's kind of a little bit questionable here, right? So we kind of dive into a little deeper. Just look inside us, in fact. So side hustle is more com- commonly necessary for lower income workers. Forty-two percent of side hustlers with a household income of under fifty thousand a year say they need a side hustle. Now, then again, yes and no. I don't think everybody who has a side hustle from the perspective of you know low income, but I would say this is if you're making less than fifty grand a year, 
that wasn't a point. I'll tell you guys this, which is which is interesting. So a lot of people watch and, and don't really know the backstory, right? So um, I worked a job that was paying me 300 bucks a month. So for, for context, 300 bucks a month, if you multiply it in a 12-month 12 12 multiple, was about $3,600 a year. $3,600 a year. I lived on $3,600 a year. Now, most people might look at that like, dude, how are you able to survive? Honestly, I'm just going to say it's the grace of God. But I want you to think about it from that perspective of, I had that job that's paying me thirty single a year, and I took another job that's paying me ten bucks an hour. You know, I worked as many hours as I possibly could for that job. You know, I would do ten. I'll do. I'll do. You know, I'll work in that the the job I was working at, and then in the weekends I'd go work more. So I was working seven days a week. I was trying to work extra to be able to make extra money, right? So I had pretty much two jobs for the most part. I'm gonna say this is the the key difference between how I was able to change my income was not necessarily changing my income from a perspective of like, yes, I want to go ahead and get another job. The, the, the reality you have to look at about it is, is you you learn what you earn, okay? I want you to look at it from that perspective. You learn what you earn. So, for instance, if you're earning under 50 grand a year, then it's because of what you're learning. You're not, you're not, you're learning, you, you haven't learned enough to make yourself 100, 150 grand. Now you'd be like, Emmanuel, what are you talking about? You know, there's like, you know, I've been at this job for five years and they haven't paid me, they're not paying me that much. Well, in reality, you got to look at it from a perspective of you are paid in direct proportion to the difficulty that there is in replacing you and the value that they believe you provide, right? If you come in a point position in which you're like, you know, that's why most people would say if you have a PhD, you get paid higher. I personally, I'm not a big believer in higher in, in college education, you know, college, because I, I personally just don't believe in. In, unless you go into STEM fields, you know, going to get an engineering degree, you know, medical degree, all that stuff, that's valuable. But, you know, I'm not talking bad about anybody else's degree. But for the most part, I just don't believe it in traditional college, right? So that's me. But you got to look at it from your perspective of how I want you to look at it from the perspective of you need to be able to invest in your education, such as self-learning. Self-learning is the most important thing. Could you go learn a trade? Go learn a trade. If you have to learn a trade, go learn a trade. But your first thing first, you have to give it to you have to get in a perspective in which you're making way more money before you can be able to invest that money. Because what I'm going to be sharing with you guys is I'm going to be talking to you guys about how I intend to do an Airbnb business. And obviously, you know, how my recommendations, you can take it with a grain of salt. You can take it or leave it. It's completely up to you. But as you guys know, we're pretty much I'm just this podcast is called the Evolution Podcast. So, you know, this is a solo um session with me just basically having a you know a chit chat with you guys here right but if we kind of go ahead and dive back into that statistic here so side hustles may not be just a temporary solution for some americans 20 8 percent of those with a side hustle believe they'll always need one to make ends meet right so half of millennials and more gen zers pretty much half of millennials and more than half of gen zers have a side hustle in 2023 so you can look at the stats look at the, the data here so if you look at it here uh, we ask other than your main source of income do you personally uh, do you personally do you anything to earn extra income on the side? So 39% of people say they do, and 61% of people say they don't. Now, does that mean that the 60% of people that don't, does it mean that they're not making that much money? No, they actually are. But then again, we don't know what the stats are behind people's personal life. It honestly all depends on whatever they need. They need that extra money from, right? But you look at the 39% here. So less than one quarter, 25% of baby boomers, 59 say they have a side hustle, which is insane. In which you're 59 to 77, you have a side hustle, which kind of puts, it makes you understand that the retirement system, and I covered this in a previous video, and I've said it in the past, you guys got to come on it from a perspective of whole work 40 years, retired at age 65. It's a very exciting concept if you believe on a very eco, how would I, community, eco community system, basically. I just, Feel like I just made a new word, but I probably just made a new word. So the whole concept of re retire sixty five, I want to kind of, I want to kind of, you know, for this, I'm going to kind of dive into a board. I know I was going to talk about, you know, I, I, the intention was initially to talk about what do you call it, um, 
Airbnb stuff, right? We're gonna which we're gonna dive into that. But this is pretty much a live. This is pretty much a podcast. This is a live stream, so I can pretty much you know go off off script here for a little bit. But I want you guys to look at it from a perspective of the whole retired sixty five. So now let's look at it as a census. To you get into the workforce at age twenty five, which means you come into a four year degree, and your income raises to the expectation of about four percent, right? So let's say about a four percent a yearly increase in salary, or maybe a three four percent because the average inflation is around two point one percent is where the standard inflation is. So usually to beat inflation is about a three to four percent, depends on wherever it is that you're working at, right? But let's look at it from a perspective. Let's look at it from the stats, right? Of majority of people, if we looked at it, most people usually have anything from two hundred to two hundred and seventy thousand dollars in four one k, which people use four one k for the purpose of retirement, for the purpose of like you know, yeah, that's it. I'm I'm sixty five. The average life expectancy is around seventy nine. I believe it's seventy nine years old. Seventy nine or seventy seven point six. I believe that's the number. But you basically you retire, you live out the rest of the next 12 to 15 years off of the money that you saved up. But now here's the problem. The problem is most people end up living longer than they actually, you know, plan to live. And usually the money ends up running out. Because if you have two hundred thousand saved up and your living expenses are literally costing you, let's say your living expenses is costing you roughly out of your two hundred and seventy grand, costing you about thirty grand a year. If it's costing you thirty grand a year, you do the math. That's how much. Uh thirty times seven. That's 270 divided by, that's nine, I believe. 270 divided by 30, I believe that's nine. Yeah, that's nine. So you have nine years, right? Okay, that's good. If you can reduce your expenses to three grand, 30 grand a year, which is roughly about what, 1,900 to 2,100, I believe, per um, on a monthly basis, right? That's pretty good. But if you look at it as to most people, most, not a lot of people, a small mind, a small percentage of people end up actually having a 401k of 250 to $270,000 per year. Okay. So think about that. So not a lot of people end up having 250, 270 grand. Most people don't even have, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people that are like close to retirement. They're like, yeah, I have 40 grand in savings. So I have 50 grand in savings. I have 55 grand in savings because the reality is life is expensive. If you have to raise kids, anybody who knows, because you got to think about it. If you enter the workforce, because most people got to think about it. Most people need two incomes. If you enter the workforce at age 25, the average, the average age of, let's look at it. The average age, the average age person gets married. Uh, and that's this is an interesting stat that I actually want to look at. Look at the average age uh, the, in 1920, 21, 24. Today's average national age is 29 and 31. So let's say 29 and 31. So we'll just say 29 years old. Uh, I know a few people that have gotten married a little younger. So we'll just say 29 years old. So let's say you get married at 29. So that's roughly four years after you get into retirement. Usually what people what ends up happening after is people start having kids. And you got to raise them for what? 18 years. So which means to age 49. And everybody knows... Not 49, but close to that. But to age, if you get them at 30, 38, so I'll just go 49 because usually the baby comes out 30, 31. So if you look at it from age 49, kids are out the house, you moved out, you're in your 40s. Now you got to think about it from a perspective of you have to pay for college, you have to pay for your kids' college, you have to fund your life, you have to pretty much take care of them, you have to do all this stuff. Now usually what ends up happening is where's most of that money coming from? This money is coming from the money that you saved up, right? So you have less ability to save, especially when you have kids, as you do if you were like to say in a position of like you were going to be a single person, a single individual, you know, single man, single girl, you know, a single person overall. But if you are in a position where in which you're going to raise a family, then your projected savings is actually going to decrease based off the fact that you're actually going to have more kids unless you're actually learning more and you're getting a raise and, you know, getting more raises and improving your value that you provide to your employer or to your 
customers, right? Because your customers are your employees at the same time, at the same, at the same uh, position, right? So you get to pretty much pick whichever, right? Now, when you look at that from that perspective, it's to most people don't end up having that much money in savings, right? Just based off of the fact that life pretty much does happen and you don't know, you know, what what else is out there that might happen. But if we kind of dive a little deeper here, so less than one quarter, 24% of baby boomers, 5977 say they have a side hustle, which is interesting. The six people who put to 5977 have a side hustle. They say they have a side hustle. The smallest percentage of gen any generation, uh, slightly more, 40% of Gen Z, Gen Xers, uh, age 40, 35, city have a side hustle. Okay. So the gap between annual income brackets is smaller than other demographics, but generally those with household income over 100,000 are most are most likely to have a side hustle. Okay. So which is interesting. So people 100,000 and over 45% have a side hustle. Between 80,000 and 99,000, 35% have a side hustle. Between 50,000 and 79,999, 39% have a side hustle. And under 50,000, 40% have a side hustle. So Americans make an average, obviously, $810 per month from side hustle. It's, it's, it's most commonly. We can dive into into the into into the math here, but basically, based on a survey, they asked on average, how much income would you say you earn in a month from your side hustle, right? And twenty eight percent say they make twenty eight percent. Look at this per month, twenty eight percent say they make a dollar, one dollar to fifty dollars in side hustle. Okay, I, this is this is that's 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 I don't that, I won't call it a side hustle. I'll call it a charity. And we have fourteen percent that say they make between fifty one to one hundred dollars, and we have eleven percent that say they make between one hundred and one to two hundred dollars, and we have. Six percent they say they make between two hundred one to three hundred dollars, and if you dive into the the, the the math, only about eight percent of people say they make more than two thousand dollars in your side hustle, right? So and so basically, if you look at the math, most people are not making money in side hustles, right? So which so is it like like Emmanuel? This is supposed to be an Airbnb talk. Listen, guys, we're gonna get into it. I want you guys to to we're gonna get into that. So if one in three people with side hustle need the funds for day to day expenses, so these side hustles just aren't so Americans. One in three percent, which is thirty-three percent of side hustlers, need income for regular living expenses. So basically, the survey asks, which one of the following best describes how you use the extra money for your side hustle? Thirty-three percent say they need it for income, uh, regular living expenses. Twenty-seven percent discretionary. Twenty-five percent income for savings, and then you have people paying off debt for about twelve percent, right? So if if you kind of if we dive deeper, right? If we dive deeper, we can basically that you you see more more stats as to basically the fact that there is this huge need for you know, the side hustle. There's this huge need for extra income because more, if you actually, some people, if you gave them, you know, let's say we live in a, in a very uh, socialistic system, right? And, you know, you give them basically everything that they need, most people won't work, right? And if they won't work, you know, to each their own, but for the most part, if they won't work, then there's no need for side hustle. Most people end up putting the extra time because you need to take care of your family. You need to take care of those people that are important to you. And hence the reason where a side hustle pretty much comes into place because there's that extra need to pretty much, oh, you know what? I got to take care of my friends. I got to take care of my family. I got to take care of those who I care about. I got to make sure that they are squared away. I got to make sure that they're, they're taken care of. I got to make sure that everything's straight with them, right? So those are kind of key concepts when you're looking at do people who actually are kind of like in the process of, you know, getting side hustles, right? But 41% of Americans are barely getting by, which pretty much, like I said, for you to have a side hustle, you got to have a main job that's not paying you enough for you to say, you know what, I want to get a side hustle. I want to get in a position in which, you know, I'm having to, you know, work another job, right? So let's look at it from a perspective of why are people getting into side hustles? What is the concept? What's the key reasons why people are like, you know what, I want to get in a side hustle. There was this need for a side hustle. Let's look at it from a, this, this this key this key stats, uh, key, key uh, uh, basically, this key stats here. So here we have, that's not what I'm looking for. So we're looking here from these numbers here. So. There we go. It'd be nice if if 
if this stuff would actually reload here. Let me get this stuff. Here. There we go. All right. Let's accept the cookies so you can track me. So we're looking at this. This is from the WF. So it's basically just cost of living. And it's just going to show the cost of living chart. So of course, so economics, basically, they say that, you know, economists, they've warned that the U.S. is on the verge of a cost of living crisis due to rapid inflation. Actually, I personally do agree with that, that there is a cost of living crisis coming up because things are kind of getting up, getting up there. You know, the current inflation uh, rate in the U.S., if you look at the inflation rate in the U.S. right now, um, they say right now it's 3.18%, but the, the, the reason why it's 3.18%, if you look at it, is because interest rates are going up. So which means in, if interest rates are going up, then, you know, most people are either, you know, buying debt out of very, debt's becoming very, very expensive. You know, that's that's basically the best way to put it is because it's literally getting expensive. But I want you guys to, I'm gonna, I want to show this, this, this statistic data here. Let me see if I can pull this up really quickly. So there's a statistic data here. If I didn't my computer loads. So the statistic data here just basically showing the trend of how inflation basically from obviously here you had 2020, you had inflation about you know this rate, and then you you had it skyrocketed right around mid-2022 at about 9.1%, which you know that 9.1%. I want you to think about it that that unless you you're in, you're investing in a stock market, investing somewhere, and you're earning an interest of at least greater than nine percent, then you're losing. Just think about it from for the perspective. For every ten dollars that you put out, you're losing about nine cents. For every hundred dollars that you put out, you're looking at losing about ninety cents. Okay, uh, is it ninety cents? Nine percent. Yeah. So nine percent. Yeah. Nine percent. Yeah. So whatever the math is, just just subtract ten percent. Ten percent of a hundred dollars is uh, ten dollars. So all right, nine dollars. Yeah, you're losing nine dollars. For every hundred dollars, you're losing nine dollars. There goes my math. Someone's gonna talk about it. I'm like, man, your math sucks. Yeah, kind of does. But um, losing about nine percent. So that's basically if you're factoring inflation. So which means inflation is is like is like it's like, how would I put it? It's like lighting your money on fire. That's what inflation is, right? So you're burning it. So that's why if you're doing a traditional savings, most people aren't making that much money. Hence the reason why most people are like, you know what? They got to work extra jobs. They got to work more. They got to do much more to go ahead and make any, you know, an extra, extra living for the most part, right? So that's basically why the cost of living is going up because if, if people are having to, if inflation is that high, then what does that mean? That means that most businesses are raising their prices. If businesses are raising their prices, the prices are basically being falling, you know, being put on the, on the customer there so you as a customer are basically the one that's having to bear the burden of pretty much you know having to pay you know for let's say you're buying pizza the pizza costs four seven bucks and now you're paying 12 13 dollars for that same pizza that's inflation so food prices increased by 9.4 percent on average in the year, year to april their largest 12 months in, in in the last 40 years what that means is in the last 40 years, food prices has gone up. I remember when there was, a, there was a phase where everyone was like, eggs, eggs are expensive, eggs are expensive. And and I still believe that to this day, uh, probably eggs are expensive. But 16% uh, of Americans say that uh, they are struggling financially compared with 66% of people. I mean, this this is comparison. I, I think this this is kind of comparing apples to oranges. It's not really comparing. It should the, the data should be pretty much looking at data from, you know, how America was to how America now versus comparing, you know, um, Americans to, to people who live in Turkey because, you know, it's a completely different world, right? So if you look at it from a perspective of average price, and I mean, this is just basically talking more about inflation numbers and how, you know, basically, and also talking about the consumer price and index, which is kind of a conversation for another day. But the kind of the way I want to talk about it is people's current financial situation, right? So if you look at the stats, so this is a chart basically saying, you know, how well would you say you're managing financially these days? So you have 24% of people in the U.S. say they're living comfortably as opposed to 12% in Germany, which is still not bad. If you actually look at it from a perspective of if you look at compared to germany australia canada britain uh france 
uh, Spain, Japan, Japan, Japan. So you look at it from the perspective of, okay, so 24% are doing uh, living comfortably. But then if you look at it and compare it to Turkey, 7% live comfortably and 37% are finding it difficult, right? Versus in the U.S., about 7% find it very difficult. So you can look at it from a perspective of 25 points, points plus 9, looking at 36, 36 plus 7, you're looking at uh, 43. So 43% of Americans are kind of in a point which they're getting by and they're also kind of struggling as well. So. So that's where the number kind of comes in of like 43% of people struggling, right? But if you look at it from a perspective as well, I know we're kind of getting a little deeper, but we're going to get to the meat of it. We're going to get to the meat of it, right? This is kind of what I want you to show you here is based on data. This is from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, right? For some reason, everybody's trying to track you. Jesus. Okay. So based on the data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, more than 400,000 Americans work two full-time jobs. Okay. So in September, 4.9% of all the, all the more than 164 million U.S. workers held two or more jobs. Okay. This is super conflicting and confusing, but it says in September, 2022, 4.9% of all the more than 164 million U.S. workers held two or more job positions. That's 7.7 .7 million people that work two jobs. As of September, 7.7 so .7 million that work two jobs. So there's this need where there's this, you know, 4.9%. So which means people, these are people who are like, you know, I got to take the initiative. I got to go out there. I got to work some more because I have a family to feed and I got to go ahead and take care of my family. And if that's you, that's probably you, right? But basically, which means that the need for more money is a must. And most people are looking for passive income and basically, or income that doesn't necessarily require a lot much more work. And that's where pretty much it you know, I came into the point as to, you know, Airbnb. And I'm like, that's something that's interesting. I've stayed in Airbnbs. You know, I'm staying in Airbnb, booking a trip, you know, in a few months. And I'm like, you know what? This is fascinating. So I'm like, I wanted to talk about it. So let's look at it from a perspective of Airbnb. Because because based on the stats and what I found is basically Airbnb hosts collected an average of about 150 billion USD since inception. Okay. 150 billion US dollars. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that right, one more. I'm going to, we're going to look at the stats here. Right. So Airbnb statistics. So this is kind of just going over the the uh, the Airbnb statistics indicate the travel booking site has rec was recovered from obviously since you know pandemic happened and most people you know there wasn't that much travel but corporate revenue for Airbnb is good Airbnb is valid there's 70 billion as of August 2022 which is kind of a little down from 34.3 percent last year okay not that so the average Airbnb host makes about thirteen thousand eight hundred dollars in 2021 now we we do the math we do the math right so we did the math. And based on the math that we did there, we we did the math and we found out that the average average person is making about if you're good, you're making about eight ten per month. And if you did the math over a twelve month period, that means that would be about a math of eight ten times twelve would be a math of about nine thousand seven hundred twenty U.S. dollars, right? So it'd be about nine thousand seven hundred twenty U.S. dollars would be the math if you're looking at the math right there, right? But we come back into the statistics here. So which means if you hosting the Airbnb, you're actually making more money. But over 60% of U.S. hosts say they rent out their primary home while they're on vacation, which is a good way to be cash flow and have them pay off your rent. And over 4 million hosts have 6 million listings on Airbnb. Okay? So, we can look at the beginning statistics here, but kind of let's look at it from perspective of, you know, because if you're going to start a business that you got to understand it, you need to look at the statistics from what are the guests doing? What are your customers? Because your customers are the people that are paying your bills, right? So you gotta look at it from a perspective. So more guests are booking longer stays, indicating a market among digital nomads. Guests were 18.4% more likely to stay in their Airbnb for at least a week in 2021 
compared to 2019. So 18.4% of people. So which means, and the reason why that is, is because there's a lot more people who are working from home and there's a lot of people that don't have to go into the physical jobs. So in 2019, there was this whole, you know, you got to go to work. And now after the, you know, everything happened, most people like returning, you know, they don't need to return back to work because it's actually more cost efficient for the employer to keep them staying at home and then have to pay $2 million for an office space, right? Over one year, 100,000 guests stayed in the same Airbnb for over three months. 54% of Airbnb guests, you know, okay, 36%, 36% of 25 and 34, so which means you have the millennials and Gen Zs, they want that liberty and that freedom. So hence, you gotta look at it from that perspective of you start an Airbnb business, you gotta be looking at it from your target demographic, you gotta be looking about age 25 and 34. So 15% are between 18 and 24 and 13% of age, 55 and older, so they're doing it more as a retirement home. So you got to think about it. So the way I think about it is if I'm appealing, if 36%, which means the high demographic between the ages of 25 and 34, then what I want to be picking up, I want to be picking up Airbnb in vacation places, but I also want to be picking up things in which location is key in real estate. Everybody knows that location is key. So let's say I have an Airbnb that's kind of by the coast, right? Let's say I have something in the Carolinas, or I have something in, in you know the western shores of Florida or the eastern shores of Florida. You know, let's say the Western Shores of Florida. Let's say I'm looking at maybe Clearwater, Tampa, uh, St. Pete, Clearwater, right? If you're not familiar with Tampa, Tampa, St. Pete, Clearwater, let me see if I can pull up a map of Florida here. Because um, I think if I pull up the map, you guys will be able to kind of. So this is kind of where this is, this is, this is where if you look to look at it from perspective, this is it right here. So this is like that area right here. So this is the Gulf, and then you have it just about right here. You look at the Tampa War. So it's kind of like, you know, Tampa, St. Pete. So St. Pete is kind of like where you're looking at close to water, but Tampa, you kind of have the bay and all that stuff. You have the Tampa Bay, right? But you got to look at it from that perspective of, okay, so if I'm looking at it from that perspective, what are the few things that I'm going to need if I'm having guests that are 25 to 34? Okay, so if my guests are between the ages of 25 and 34, so a few things I'm going to need. One, I want to make sure that the school system, right? I want to make, you know, let's say they're on vacation. School, okay, let's say let's say if I want to rent out some of this more in the school sign, right? School time, school, or I can also pay attention to, you know, kids, like things that, you know, activities that they can do with kids, right? So activities play a role, right? Um, how close is the nearest Starbucks? Right. This is this is this is this is you gotta look at it. Starbucks, Target, Target's another one, right? You gotta look at it from how close is the nearest Target, right? Those are the key, those are the key areas that you gotta wanna kind of be looking at. Okay, where are the closest amenities that they're gonna use? Because if I'm like, hey, now I can advertise my listing, and I'm like, I can be in my listing, I could be like, you know, yeah, two miles from the beach. My handwriting, my handwriting is not the best, guys, and I'm writing on a laptop, okay? So we have two miles from the beach, and we have, I would say, two miles from Target. So someone's like, whoa, okay. So we, you know, because now they're thinking, okay, if we travel, we know our Airbnb is within two miles from Target, and you could be like two miles from, you know, the Cinemark or something, right? So now they have date night, right? Because you know there's probably going to be a couple, right? So you got to look at it from a perspective of, okay, so these are a few things that kind of play a role as to what are the amenities and activities? You got to think about it from the customer's perspective of what do they like to do, right? So those are kind of a few key concepts to kind of take into take into account if you're looking at the Airbnb statistics there. So, and you think about it also, 95% of survey guests choose Airbnb for ease and security of payment. Um, I personally would say Airbnb, but I have Hotels is cool, pretty cool, especially if I can get a suite, but Airbnb is not bad. 86% say the location of the Airbnb is more convenient than a hotel. Okay, 77% want to live like locals. All right, so you got to have that local feel. And 64% agree that home sharing is more ecological 
Oh, environmentally friendly. Honestly, I don't know how that is, but I feel like just toss that in there. And 43% in functionality is the top of me. So you can kind of look at it. Now, let's look at it from a perspective of the host. You are the host now. You're the person which is coming in there, and you're the person now that's going to be basically putting your money out there, right? So Airbnb host statistics. So women are more likely to register as hosts and are consistently rated as the best host on Airbnb. So take that, take note on that. So if you if you uh, 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 if you're a married guy, have your wife run it. If you're somebody who's like, you know, I mean, that's higher. Uh, you know, Airbnb management company, I don't know, whatever it is that you got to do there. But you want to make sure you got to understand when it comes to Airbnb, I remember I stated this, this one terrible Airbnb in LA. This was probably back in 18 or 17. Oh my God. It was, it was, I remember this, this Airbnb, Airbnb was not the best Airbnb because I remember I, I we, we got it, which I, I'm going to say this guys is, I'm not going to say anything about LA, but this is my experience. Went to, so Glandy airport, went to LA, so got to LA, you know, we went to the rental car. I'm gonna say this: the cheapest rental car, the car, the, the cheapest rental car. When you look at it, it's like eleven dollars, thirteen dollars, fifteen dollars, twenty dollars, twenty-five dollars. I was like, oh, cheap. You buy it, and then you get to the airport, and they're like, you're like, where's the rental drop? Oh, he's like, yeah, it's twenty miles away. And then you get in a, they have a shuttle that comes every five hours. Just kidding. But then you take it to this this tent, and then you, it's not a tent, but you get there. And then you start adding up on this. Okay, sir. Okay, so it's twenty five dollars. Um, you're gonna need this. This is not included. And then literally, they end up raising the price more. And then now you chart. Now you're basically paying, you know, eighty dollars a day and nine dollars a day. And then if you're going to like a tourist destination like L.A., then you get also charged tourist. Uh, I think I was charged. What was I charged again? It was tourist. Uh, uh tourist taxes. Tourist something. And you get charged some tourist stuff on top of that. So now they're trying to make extra money off of you now. So you get charged all that stuff. Okay, so I was like, fine. Drove to the um, what'd you call it? Drove to the uh, Airbnb, and then I show up. It's obviously it's a house, right? Because people went to your house, get a community, could barely get in there. Got in there, the place was half clean, right? The bed looked like it, it was not as advertised, and I was like, why am I here, right? That was my one Airbnb experience, right? And then it, it just, I didn't, I, I'm not a, you know, I didn't leave a review because I'm like, I'm not gonna leave a negative review. I'm not that kind of person. I was like, that's fine, but I'm gonna say this is cleanliness is key. Right. Make sure that you have an Airbnb. If you have an Airbnb, make sure you have an Airbnb that is clean. Okay, a clean Airbnb, not an Airbnb where people are gonna be like, Ugh, "Oh my god, I don't want to go in there." Jeez, what, what kind of Airbnb is this? Right. You don't want to kind of have a nasty. You don't want to be nasty. Okay. You don't want to be nasty. Don't be nasty. Okay. Listen, don't be nasty. Okay. Eighty-five percent of hotels are located, located outside the United States, which is interesting. Um, and the reason why most eighty percent of eighty-five percent are located outside is because obviously you gotta look at it from perspective of they're also doing, um, uh, what's the word I was looking for again? They also basically just you know it's more tourists. Like if you live in Mexico, you're like oh I'm in Tulum, or you're you know or somewhere else, or you're like out in the islands, you can Airbnb stuff, right? And nationwide, the average host earns about ninety-nine dollars per night for a private room with up to two guests. Okay, which is good. The average host earns about thirteen thousand eight hundred annually, and over sixty percent of hosts in the USA they rent out their private residence while they're on vacation. And then obviously, as you see. You can go and look at the statistics, but 22% of hosts indicate they chose to host after first being an Airbnb guest, okay? So, which is interesting, right? So now we're, we're going to kind of look into, we're not going to dive too much deeper into this. We're going to actually look at the math, right? One thing I want to do is, guys, we got to match the math. We're going to be wrapping up here shortly because you guys know it's a solo podcast. And when I have guests, we go longer when it's a solo podcast. I kind of keep it a little short, right? So. We look at it as a revenue calculator. Look at it as a projected revenue calculator, and then we're going to look at this calculator here. You guys can find this calculator. Um, let me let me just log in here really quickly, and then once I log in, we'll be able to pretty much dive into um, basically 
using the revenue calculator. But you can go to, uh, what's it called? You can go to analytics.alltheroom.com. Uh, that, that all the room, yeah, I think that's the one, all the rooms. Dot com and you'll be able to pretty much find a calculator, right? So what, what it allows you to do is it allows you to pretty much run calculations based on location. So let's say I wanted to have an Airbnb in Tampa, right? So remember, guys, we're talking about Tampa. So let's say I want an Airbnb in Tampa. It's I've got two rooms, one bath, and I'm expecting four guests, right? Calculate revenue. So what it does is it projects based off of the just you know, use historical data to give you now you got to be a paid member for this, but then it would give you some more data as far as like, you know, explore the market, explore the county, the zip codes, the downtown to kind of see what the location looks like. Right. But based on everything right now, the rental revenue is about roughly you're looking at about 25,817, but this is an annual basis is anticipating an occupancy of 37%. Okay. So it's anticipating an occupancy, occupancy, of about roughly about 37%. Now, if we're looking at something like, let's say I want to do an Airbnb in Miami, Florida, right? So let's go ahead and say, and I have, let's say I have four rooms and I have three baths and I'm expecting seven guests, right? Something like that. So occupancy, so average daily rate. So think about this, average daily rate is $548, 40% occupancy, $80,000 is a projected annual revenue now this is annual revenue also you got to separate the fact as to how much is it going to cost you to operate it okay then you can pretty much go ahead and look at your expenses so right now it's looking at it as your net operating operating expenses is going to be about eight thousand dollars eight thousand forty seven dollars which is pretty cool um and then net net operating income your net income is about seventy two thousand four hundred and twenty six dollars so that's kind of the the, the 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 but you gotta also look at it like if i go into if I want to do something in like, let me see, um, Boise. If I go to Boise, Idaho, right? Not saying it's Boise is bad, but let's say we do the same thing. Now look at the rental revenue is thirty six thousand one hundred nine two seventeen daily rate forty five percent. So you gotta look at the location can allow you to be able to charge more for the rates, right? So I'm gonna look at it from this perspective. Now the reason why I'm gonna say this now, a lot of people are gonna go, Emmanuel. Well. I don't believe in Airbnb. I don't. I'm not an Airbnb guy. Absolutely not. No Airbnb for me. I am strictly just rental property. I just want to rent my house out. I just want to buy, hold, and rent and have them pay off my debt. I don't like people coming to my house. Oh God, you don't know what they do. They come in your house. They stay in the bed. You have no clue what you what you're gonna. You know you don't want any bodily stuff on there. You just literally want, hey, they live in here. You don't want to come back because some people might think it's you know somebody. Oh my God, it's gross. I have to sleep on the same bed. Listen. There's ways around that in which you can basically have another bed that you can, you know, another mattress that you can bring in and, you know, you can hide one mattress, another, you know, somewhere else. And then when they leave, you come back and put your mattress back. And then you're like, well, that's too much work. I don't want to do that. No, I'm just going to rent out the place. They furnish it however they furnish and then they pay me my rent. That's fine. That's what I want to do is I want to do a landlord. That's perfectly fine. We're going to look at the arguments for that, right? We're going to look at the argument is, is the landlord way? How does the landlord, if you want to do it from a perspective of, okay, I want to do rental income, does that actually work, right? So we're going to go ahead and look at the stats, right, guys? We're going to go ahead and dive. As you guys know, I like to look at it to show you all how I think it goes. New lyrics. Okay, so let's look at it from a perspective of here, right? So we're going to calculate everything because now when you're looking at this is now let's factor in how much is the cost of your loan, how much is your rent, how much. Now you got it. Now you're actually doing some actual math. So the way I was able to do this is I went to calculator.net. You can find them online, calculator.net. You'll be able to calculate this, right? So let's say, let's look at it from a perspective of the average. Let's look at it and say, remember, let's, let's look at Miami. Let's look at it from a perspective of Miami, right? So the average home 
value price in Miami. I know you guys were like, Miami is kind of insane. So what is the average car home house cost in Miami? So the average house cost in Miami is around 675000 right? Oh, yeah. All right, so we'll use six hundred and seventy-four. The median home sold for five hundred thirty. So let's use let's use something like five hundred grand. Let's come back in here and let's plug in five hundred thousand, right? So we're gonna plug in five is uh five hundred. Yeah, five hundred. You're using a loan. Most people use a loan. Okay. So what's the current interest rate on the loan? So the current interest rate, obviously, it all varies uh, on credit and your down payments on a uh, home loan. The average. We're just going to look at the average. Okay. So right now, based off of this, geez, that's crazy. Uh, that's that's a twenty-year fixed is seven point six. So everything's right now. Let's say it's about we mortgage. So right now, on a thirty on a home thirty-year fixed loan. Let's do a thirty-year fixed loan because most people do a thirty-year fixed loan. So if you're doing, a, uh, ooh, oh my god, seven point nine nine percent. Jeez. Woo-hoo. 7.99%. All right. Jeez. Oh, my God. I'm even scared to put in those numbers. Let's put 7%. Most people are like, oh, my God, Emmanuel, that's not that high. Well, no, it's high. <laughs> it's high. 500,000. Now, I always recommend this, guys. If you If you don't put... We're going to go off of the average of 20% down. Most people put less. I'm going to say just put 20% down. Save up the money. Because if not, if you don't, now it's, we're going to look at the factors. So let's look at it from a perspective. Let's say I put 5% of 500 grand down, right? So I put, uh, so 10% is 50 grand, put 25 grand. So I put 20 grand down, 25 grand down, right? And 25 grand down, uh, need repairs, no. Closing costs. Let's say my closing cost was, um, we'll say about 14000 and we can leave. We can leave. We'll just leave all this stuff the same. Calculating cost. Let's leave all these things the same. And if we go ahead and calculate this, okay. So based off of this, at a this is just going to be say the, the four to twenty year. This is just the breakdown, right? So we have a half a million dollar house. The expenses is six thousand. So the first year we're negative, okay. We're two thousand. So let's say the the rent will be actually. Let's let's do this. Let's do this a little bit better because based on this math you're already in, in a net loss so let's be reasonable here let's say we're not using a $500,000 house let's say we're doing a $200,000 because if we're doing a $500,000 house right unless your rent has to be $5,000 at least per month it has to be $5,000 per month because it has to be because if anything less than that you you you, you messed up because on a $5,000 house okay now you have a decent cash flow of $5,000 on rent so unless your rent's $5,000 so you look at the mortgage is $3,792 sounds about right so because so let's look at the math here. So now we look at the fact that your mortgage is three thousand seven hundred ninety-two dollars because you have five percent down. Now let's look at it from a perspective of let's say I now put twenty percent down, okay, and I put twenty percent down and I calculate it now. Now my mortgage is thirty one ninety-three, right? This this makes a significant difference because that's what seven hundred eighty dollars extra per month. So this makes a significant difference. Plus, if you have if you put oh oh yeah, that's why. Because I put, I was like, what? Okay. All right. So this is the annual mortgage, 31935 I was like, yeah, that's why the math the math was not basically. But the math the math was not math. And 6700 and cash flow is about 18365 Definitely go play around with this calculator, guys. So if you're looking at a cash flow of about cash on return, you return about 
one one percent that's your cash on return right there right so five hundred thousand five thousand dollar a month twenty percent down closing costs 40 grand you're still looking at a position in which by the end of your, your cash flow monthly cash flow is roughly about one thousand five hundred and thirty dollars annually you're making about 18 grand so your net operating income your net operating your NOI basically is about uh 4,191.67 and your annual net operating income is about fifty thousand three hundred dollars so that's that's still not bad because it's still fairly fairly reasonable so it's still income that's what it's saying it's still income you still income income of NOI of about four thousand one nine one right so if you guys don't know what what is my net operating income I'm gonna say what is the definite uh what is the definition of net operating income so I could show you So now it's just basically how do you so so to basically think about net is a calculation basically so NOI it says all right so look at definition so net operating income is a calculation used to analyze the profitability of income generated real estate investments NOI equals all revenue from the property minus all reasonably necessary expenses right so pretty much everything all the new, new reasonable expenses you subtract that you pretty much have your revenue NOI is basically is a before tax figure so which means you while you're doing mostly with property taxes and you're also getting income so obviously you got to report that in a way as income as well but you can depreciate um now we kind of get a little technical we can depreciate your up in expenses towards income to reduce your tax bill to basically almost zero if the need be right but you guys look at it from a perspective of you know miami i know it's an extreme of rent of about five grand which is pretty good but most people are not in a position in which their rent is five grand because most people the average mortgage if we if we let's just go ahead and be reasonable with this okay i know i was kind of a little bit extra with that but let's be reasonable with this and say you know the have the average let's say the average home of 200 grand okay and the rent is two grand and they put two percent down everything still stays the same and let's put a closing cost of about six grand and we calculate that Right now, so right now, so cash flow. If you're doing about two thousand dollars per month, right, uh, paying your mortgage about thousand six or four, your cash flow is roughly about two seventy seven. Is what you're making. That's what you actually cash flow. That's your cash flow. That's what you're getting every month. And then, um, what you call it? And three thousand uh, is your annual cash flow off of one door. So the only way to basically make this, because you got to think about, it, you're making two hundred seventy bucks a month. Okay, two hundred seventy bucks a month. Because you got to also factor the fact that if something breaks on the rental property, you're responsible for fixing it. You are responsible for fixing it if something breaks. If you hire a property management company, they take a cut. They take a percentage of it. So if they're taking a percentage of it, anything else comes out of pocket. Now it's going to take about four years for you to build enough where you can take out your initial cash flow, initial your initial down payment of twenty percent. Take it out, and now you're pretty much in a cash flow positive, almost like it's pretty much paid for itself. Now you can choose whichever one you want. The the Airbnb is obviously more of an active because you actually have to go, you have to, or you can hire a cleaning service that can clean and to make sure everything's ready for the next guest. That's pretty easy, simple to do, but you also will make more money. It's also got a factor in the fact as to Airbnbs are mostly seasonal because you know if I'm a New Yorker, I'll probably have an Airbnb for the winter in Florida. You know if I'm if I'm, you know, kind of things like that, you got to think about it. And Airbnbs, you got to think about the location as well, because an Airbnb in Idaho is probably not going to perform the same as an Airbnb in L.A., right? Because there's a few factors that come into play. But as far as it is taking into account who your customers are, who the location is, and also you got to think about it as far as the home you're going to be, you know, 
what's the location of the home you're going to be purchasing to do for this Airbnb? There's a really great amount of cash flow to make, and you can make money faster with an Airbnb than you can make money actually with a normal rental property. So that's probably what I would do. Let me know in the comment section below what you guys think. And feel free to like and share this video with someone you believe that uh, gets any value from this. And obviously, it's an absolute pleasure to bring this to you guys. And obviously, don't forget to sub to the channel as well. And like I always like to say,